Undeceptions podcast. This is not just a secular age, it's what I call a sexualer age. Sexuality, your views around it, your practices of it, determine who's in and who's out in our culture at the moment. Imagine a DeLorean time machine car appears outside your house this year and you get in and you're told that you're going to 2052 to see what the future looks like. You arrive and you see what it actually looks like 30 years from now. Do you want that future? What would you do to get there or to get away from that future? That's what we're going to find out. How about this? My first memories of Australian rules football, or footy as we call it here, were from primary school in about the mid-1970s. There I was standing sodden in the rain midwinter in a pair of shorts, boots and a classic Aussie rules jersey, which was sleeveless and blue with a red stripe, and for some unknown reason made of wool. It was perfect for getting soggy in the rain and therefore heavy enough to ensure that the brute chasing me down would do so with ease. Now, footy was a manly man's game and I preferred soccer, soccer and writing. Footy was played on Sundays too and we went to church on Sundays, twice as I recall. Every time I played footy, I was outed as a non-footy player. And friends would sometimes ask me to join a team, uh, but it was played Sundays of course and I'd make some excuse. I remember too the first time I was outed for being a Christian at school. That was an embarrassing moment back in the early 80s. Now, as a writer, I have a certain turn of phrase that's come with me since my early days, and I've always been capable of saying something to put someone in their place, which I remember I duly did one day to a bloke at school in front of absolutely everyone, and they laughed, job done. Until he got my weak point, he spat this out. Well, at least I don't go to church. Burn, (laughs) but not a burn of horror. How evil are you to go to church to be a Christian, you bigot? But a burn more like church, how pathetic, what a loser. You see, manly men played football, they didn't go to church. There I was, a non-footy playing churchgoer, ticking all the wrong boxes. So best to hang around with all the other outcasts at school. In fact, public school has a perverse way of finding us, then labelling us, then ignoring us, and then mocking us and bringing us out when some sport is needed. We weren't really accepted, but we weren't a threat either to the particular social order. So it's something of an irony that footy and church have clashed again in Australia and clashed big time, not at the local grassroots level that I used to play or avoid playing, but at the elite national level. Essendon Football Club have forced their one day in the role chief executive officer to resign because as a Christian, he is the chair of a church that holds to a set of values that Essendon rejects. Orthodox Christian values around sexuality, True, Andrew Thorburn has been outed as a Christian. But the footy crowd in 2022 no longer scorns his faith as weak or pathetic. It's more likely it's shunning it as bigoted. And we've seen it in the past few weeks in the media from it. Words such as abomination and terms such as he doesn't think in line with diversity. This has been the public fallout for Andrew Thorburn. 
that and a scorching media abuse campaign towards the church he attends. He came a cropper because footy today showcases a different kind of manly man. To reach the pinnacle of acceptable manhood is to not simply accept the sexual practices that footy once scorned, but to actually celebrate them publicly to make them part of your values as a club, to determine that everyone who's involved is an ally. And you know what the opposite of an ally is? It's an enemy, isn't it? Thorburn was left with no choice. He had to resign. So where's it all going? Well, a lot of ink has been spilt in assessing the situation over the past few weeks. Was it just a decision because of religious bigotry? Is it discrimination against a religiously observant person? Would Andrew Thorburn have been able to hold the tension of promoting values that he didn't privately share? And it feels too like the event was an earthquake and the aftershocks are still being felt. In a sense, it's too soon to know definitively if this is a line in the sand for religious people in high-profile roles whose values don't align with those of their organisation. But let's make some observations from where we are at the moment. How do we get to a situation like this? A situation where the political leader in the state that Essendon Football Club resides in questioned the decision to employ Thorburn based not on his actions, but on a church sermon preached in 2013 before Thorburn had even attended the church that he now attends. So let me make some observations about what's going on. I think first up that the Western world is wrestling over human rights issues. Now, what do I mean by that? Simply this, whose rights trump whose rights? Currently, rights around sexual practices hold sway, it would seem, over religious rights in the West. They just do. And at bedrock level, the reason is pretty simple. Sexuality is considered to lie at the core of our identity. And religion? Well, in a secular place such as Australia, and indeed in the West in general, I think, religion is something you kind of take on, a bit like a shirt, and you kind of take off, a bit like a shirt. It's not really intrinsic to who you are. Sexuality, on the other hand, it's now a bedrock identity marker. So its rights become primary. It moves further up the totem pole of rights, so to speak. British theologian and commentator Carl Truman puts it like this. The intuitive moral structure of our modern social imaginary regards traditional sexual codes as oppressive and life-denying and places a premium on the individual rights to define his or her own existence. Now, let me unpack that a little bit for you. Intuitive moral structure, that's simply what we reflexively believe is right in our gut. Modern social imaginary, that's how society confirms what we believe is right in so many little ways. And the traditional teaching around sex by the church, therefore, is now seen as immoral, unacceptable in the public square because it pushes against those things. It's not simply a diverse point of view any longer. It's actually oppressive. It denies life. It's a threat to human flourishing. In other words, this is not just a secular age, it's what I call a sexular age. Sexuality, your views around it, your practices of it, determine who's in and who's out in our culture at the moment. 
Now, if that's true about sex, and it's also true that the individual gets to define their own existence, as Carl Truman says, then here's the issue. To object or disagree is to perpetrate violence towards a person's autonomy. Andrew Thorburn could have all the best credentials to be a football club chief executive officer, but to fail on this one in our so-called sexual age, for him to suggest that he could hold the tension to insist that he could honour and support everyone, even if he doesn't agree with their life choices, well, in currency today, that simply makes him the equivalent of a smiling racist. Second observation, social policy is now driven by culture and by its institutions. Isn't the point of a football club to win football matches? You would think, but no longer. It's not just to win football matches. Why are issues about inclusion and exclusion, especially around sexual identity, so prevalent in sport now? Why are clubs promoting pride rounds? Why are those who resist given short shrift? Now, there have been three major clashes with religion by three major football codes in Australia in recent years. Australian Rules Football, Rugby Union and Rugby League. And all have made the headlines and all have caused media storms. I think we're just waiting for soccer to join the list. So what's going on? Large corporations, including sporting clubs, now see themselves as major culture setters. They've become the mouthpieces of what is wrong and what's right. Indeed, more than that, in what's moral and immoral, what's good and evil in our culture. And in the absence or rejection of traditional institutions in the West, something has to fill the gap. And sporting clubs are ubiquitous enough and fanatically followed enough to do that. The result is that they've become the new priests, pronouncing blessings and cursings in the public square. They have a loud voice in saying what's right and wrong about a culture. And let's face it, they reach more people than traditional moral institutions do. From the corporate banker in the heated box with canapes and chardonnay, through to the mums and dads, bums on seats in the freezing rain, sport now gets to everyone. So sport gets its message to everyone. It's the modern town square. Clubs now have immense reach across a wide range of the population. If as many people as possible are going to hear the diversity and inclusion sermon, I think sports clubs make great pulpits. They are culture shapers, prophets pointing to a vision of the country we wish to have a more diverse and inclusive country. Well, for some, for some rights are more important than others. And at the moment, because of what Carl Truman says about our modern social imaginary, religious rights are clashing with sexual rights. Here's my suspicion, and that's the word you're looking for, for those in the know, and it's a well-grounded suspicion that it's going to be increasingly difficult to attain any significant public or indeed private role if you hold to a traditional religious ethic around sexuality. Which brings me to a third observation. These battles are but skirmishes in what is a looming bigger battle. Today it is the public problem experienced by a prominent CEO of a famous football club. But tomorrow? Tomorrow it is the private problem experienced by a middle management employee of some accounting firm. Now how do I know this? because it's already today's problem. I hear tale after tale from people concerned that they're being asked to go against their conscience in their workplace. And if they keep their heads down, 
and try to offer silence, they're increasingly being told that silence is violence. How did we let it get to that? Janet Albrechtson observes that Australia in particular is in catch-up mode when it comes to protecting religious rights in our modern world. And she stated this recently in the Australian newspaper. In the hierarchy of human rights, religious freedom, a central tenet of liberty and our history, should trump feelings. That means at a minimum, a person should not be effectively sacked because of their faith. You see, this is about protection. She says that Western governments are failing to protect the religious sensibilities of their citizens. But note what she says, religious freedom should trump feelings. Well, perhaps it should, but because of what Carl Truman observes, they don't. How did Truman put it? Selfhood is seen in psychological terms. How I feel is more important, how I feel is precarious, and it can be affected by what you think about me, about the way I live my life. That's the narrative today. And if I don't feel welcomed by you, no amount of you declaring your honoring of my humanity is going to cut it. That's why there's been such dead silence on this issue around Essendon by Australia's human rights commissioners. Feelings have trumped rights and they don't wanna get involved in this. Feelings are now the basis of rights and it's coming to a middle management office floor near you. Now, one final observation before we wrap things up. Truly inclusive societies just don't grow on trees. Now, what do I mean by that? Simply this, pluralism as we understand it is a creation of a Christian culture. The confidence to not simply allow other ideas to exist, but allow them to flourish in public life, sprang up from Christian soil. It sprang up from Christian ideas around the dignity and worth of every human, the central and brilliant conclusion that we teach people to follow Jesus, not coerce them. That's at the basis of our ideas around freedom of conscience and freedom of religion. No other religion or political framework allows genuine pluralism the way that Christianity does or has done down through the centuries. If Christianity recedes from public life, so too will pluralism. And that's what we're finding. So what can we do about this? Can I suggest, first of all, that we take a deep breath? Perhaps you're not Christian listening to this, you're either wondering what's all the fuss about, or you're not sure which side of the fence to land on, Essendon or Andrew Thorburn. Taking a deep breath, well, that seems so 2002, doesn't it? Social media has changed the landscape. It actively discourages civil discourse. It rewards bad behavior, and it discourages it at exactly the same time that we need it more than ever at exactly the same time that we no longer share as much in common in terms of our ideas around what makes for a good society. Mob rule is unhelpful. Let's not pour petrol on the fire with an intemperate comment on social media. Secondly, if you are Christian listening, perhaps it's time to play up how different we actually are, to sort of lean into difference, so to speak, at the very time that people are calling us out. You see, if our goal in life is to fit in, to look no different, then we are not actually offering an alternative. We simply don't accept the secular assumption that faith is private, 
We don't believe that. We don't accept the materialist assumption that reality consists merely of those things that we can see. We don't believe that. We believe in a heaven above, a hell below, and an earth in the middle. And they leak. They're porous. Things move between them. Now, Rory Shiner and Peter Orr have written a book called The World Next Door to explain Christianity to people who may not know anything about it. It's an overview of the Christian faith for smart people. That's how I'd put it. But even so, it starts off not with smart people ideas. It starts off with a daring reality that Christianity offers us a world of angels and devils and a world that's porous, that has an invisible reality beyond even the level of stranger things. We will do well long-term by actually playing up our differences, by saying from the outset that this Christianity thing hits different. Believe me, there are plenty of people looking for something different, looking for something with meaning and purpose that isn't simply tied to sex and gender. And third, remember this, Christianity can hold the tension of loving someone for who they are but not approving of what they do. Australian historian and Christian author John Dixon recently reminded us of this when he stated that Jesus was able to love those who he didn't agree with. And you see, that's where our framework comes from, from Jesus. The secular world does not have that framework, and it's the poorer for it. All it can do is to get people to publicly agree with its stance, whether or not they privately do. And you know what? I don't think that sounds like a happy society. That does not sound like a future we all want. External agreement, but internal disagreement. In fact, that's the pathway to tyranny, whether that's hard political tyranny or soft cultural tyranny. And finally, if you are a Christian, or you're even thinking of becoming one, you need to know this. Being scorned for being a Christian is a feature, not a bug, of the faith. Don't give up on Christianity because like me at school back in the day, you get outed for it, whether the outing is one of pity or outrage. Central to Christianity is Jesus, and he got crucified back in his day. But now, billions across history have worshipped him and still do, and they have enriched the world by doing so. Andrew Thorburn said this when he announced his resignation from Essendon Football Club. My faith is central to who I am. Since coming to faith in Jesus 20 years ago, I have seen profound change in my life, and I believe God has made me a better husband, father, and friend. It has also helped me become a better leader. That is because at the center of my faith is the belief that you should create a community and care for people because they are created by and loved by God and have a deep intrinsic value. My suspicion, what Jesus can do for a person and a society, a football club cannot and never will be able to. Podcast.